0: So Ann walked in, and Anne looked at me and said, she started laughing. She goes, oh my God. She goes, I should be Edie. Why don't we do the Andy and Edie show based on Sonny and Cher? And so we, we put together this program called the Andy and Edie show, and we did it dance area. The Congo Bill Room, we put all tin foil and silver balloons and television monitors, and um, we came out singing, I Got, I got You, Babe. And Ann was like all fucked up with like heroin marks in her arm, and me with a Polaroid camera and, and people, were, it was, and we showed home movies and it was hysterical. And then at the end, Andy Ann goes, Andy, think it's time to go. And like, I'm having fun. And she goes, well, you not after I do this and she had like a gun and she shoots me on stage. Like, pow, pow, pow. And we're like, and then we turn around and go, Oh, you're so funny. And we'll laugh. After the show, Andy was downstairs. <laughs> and he's like, that was the best show I ever saw in my life. <laughs> it was better than Broadway. I said, What do you think? He goes, You look, you're a good, a good meat. I said, How about Anne? He goes, Oh, Anne was great as the dead girl.
1: He wouldn't even say her name.
0: And I said, You mean Edie? He goes, Yeah, the dead girl. He didn't even say, He said, Great as the dead girl.
2: Wow. wow. That's funny. Funny success.
1: Hello, I'm James St. James. This is Night Fever, New York nightlife legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. I am joined as always by my co-host, the co-founders of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado. We Hello. are celebrating the nightlife icons, the party monsters, the club kids, the disco dollies, the divas and deities of downtown, night crawlers, legends all, the architects of the club scene, Today, our guest is a downtown superstar. He is a drag queen extraordinaire. He is a performance artist in a cabaret chanteuse. He is a movie star in movies like uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Big Top Pee Wee, Flawless, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, Mondo New York, I could go on and on and on. He was also with um, Zumanity, Cirque du Soleil, for six years in Las Vegas, and that is just the tip of his amazing five-decade-long career we are going to try and get to everything i don't know how we're going to do it in an hour but ladies gentlemen our non-binary friends everybody please welcome joy arias how you doing i was gonna say one thing yes i'm
0: not a queen yes I'm a goddess.
1: Uh, drag goddess, of course. My God, we have to start over again. <laughs> because the
0: thing is that there's too many queens out there. It's like, it's like going to a chicken farm and seeing all the little chickens everywhere. So they're all queens. <laughs> Only a goddess can sit there on top of the mountain and look down.
1: Or you look are apart. the empress of drag. You are no, the no, arena of drag. No, just the goddess, dear. Just the goddess. Just the goddess. You know, I feel like I talk to you every day since you've joined Twitter. It's such a it's such a joy to have you on Twitter. But I think it's been almost four years since I've seen you. The last time I saw you was at um, Giorgio's here in Los Angeles on New Year's Eve. Right. Yes. But the thing is that the, I saw you also at Aries of the Twist, and I haven't seen Fenton. And, 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 and
0: you guys, forever, I'm like, I can't even talk. I got so excited. <laughs> yeah, and Randy, my God, to see you both together. You both look fantastic.
2: Stop. I'm really excited <laughs> to see you, too. Like, super excited to see you. I think the last time I saw you, you, you might not have known I was there, was when you performed... Um, at Disney Hall, at, at, um, I don't know how many years ago that was, It was, but it was amazing. The puppet show?
0: That was incredible. It was like every movie star came to that. It was unbelievable. One month, eight, 10 shows a week. It was unbelievable. And in North, and New York also, I was so used to it because in uh, Las Vegas, it was 10 shows a week with Cirque du Soleil. So I have this, like, mm-hmm. I was, as uh, Michael Holman, as you know, Michael Holman, he saw Aries with a Twist and he looked at me, he said, I can't say anything except you were engineered to perform. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very Michael Holman. Yes, know. you have that that old. You are Ann Miller of of drag. You were you are, you are just uh, uh, going going <laughs> going. Wind you up and watch you go. <laughs> I wanted to start in the in the early '70s with Pearlie and um, the band that you were, did that you were signed with with Capitol Records, and you released a song that was very hippie, trippy. Tell me about that. What?
0: Well, I, you know, growing up in uh, well, I'm originally from North Carolina, but I really think I was abducted from Roswell as an alien baby and given to my mother because my mother used to tell me, "I don't know who you are." You're not my child. <laughs> you're like somebody, you're the, somebody gave it to me. You're not my baby. <laughs> so I always like say, oh, from, Am I from Roswell? So we used to laugh about that. So then we'd moved to Los Angeles and I went to school there, Catholic school. So I sang in choirs and I was like, you know, I was in church singing,
3: Tantumago, Sacramento.
0: So I was very, I thought I was a nun on top of that. Anyway, so I had, we listened to music and I had the neighborhood guys that playing music. So we got together, we started playing music. I'm gonna kind of rush it. And then we started this band. We used to play Battle of the Bands and Bands and this and that, and play the colleges when we were kids. And then we got signed to uh, this management company and then they signed us to Capitol Records. And they put us in all those teen magazines and this is like
3: 1970.
0: And uh, we released our first record called Burgerette. And it was about a girl from New York, whose her name is Courtney Armout, And she was the first girl in New York to be break dancing. She could dance on anything on top of counters, stools, cars. And so it was all about her. So that was kind of a big hit with the Teen Magazine
2: fans. Did you co-write that? Like, were you, I know you have an amazing voice. So were were you also writing music? Oh, yeah, I
0: write music too. I write songs and write. uh, that's what I do a lot. I wrote four songs in Search of Soleil. So that's what I do. And uh, so besides writing and singing, and then we, uh, and then I, I actually quit and join the Groundlings, the improv group.
1: Wait, I imagine this was the period. I know Lorraine Newman was, was one of the Groundlings when you were there, right? And is this when you met Paul Rubin and Cassandra? And is No, no. Okay.
0: So this is what happened. So Gary Austin, the founder, was a dear friend of mine before the Groundlings. He called me and said, get rid of that fucking group and just, you know, get, you know, get the fuck out of that. What <laughs> fuck are you doing with this funky kid's shit? Come to see the show. So I went to go see the groundlings at Oxford, and I come. Like, I was like, "Oh my God, this is blowing my." And so afterwards, he just said, "I know you loved it. Tomorrow you start classes." That's all he said. And there I was. I was. I was joining the groundlings. I was with them like you know, seven days a week, doing classes, hanging out. There was Lorraine Newman, and there was like other people that you didn't know of. And eventually, Phil Hartman joined. Edie McClurg joined. Oh, Edie McClurg. These people joined when I was there. Eventually, they moved. we moved to the Malrose. Then I moved to New York in 76. And uh, when I moved to it, the, the Groundlings were calling me and saying, we missed the crazy Joey, but there's a new kind of crazy character. His name's Paul Rubens, and he's the new Joey the Groundlings. And so I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden they would say, he's got this character named Pee Wee. Oh, my God, go, blow your mind. He's so hysterical. That's all I knew. And then... I knew Elvira because she was the coffee girl at Ferrucci. Oh,
1: <laughs>
0: So we became good friends, and then she moved to LA and started getting hurt, and then she joined the Groundlings. So they, all these people joined the Groundlings after I left, so I'm kind of like one of the original, you know, wow. 16. I'm like one of the
1: original 16, and, and I look good for like a hundred years old, right? When you left the Groundlings and you came to New York, you drove cross-country with Kim Hastrader, who was the future co-founder of Paper Magazine. And it's the two of you in a car going cross-country. In, in, in a covered wagon. In a covered wagon. And I would love to be a, like a fly on the wall during that car, during that car ride. Do you remember like, what the song you sang and the conversations you had? and, and- So my, well, my friend Bo Allen, uh, you, no ever talks about me. He was my mentor. And he
0: introduced me to Kim when I was in LA. He said you're going to meet this girl. She's going to Cal Arts. So I met her in '74, and then we became great friends for those two years. And when she was going to graduate, I was getting ready to blow to New York. So I said I'll accompany you and drive cross country with you. So she had this big truck. So when she we packed it and covered it up, it was like a covered wagon. <laughs> so we drove to Las Vegas and we dropped Quaaludes and we went in, all the casinos. I fucked up. I never forget Kim was on, on the, on the, uh, the, the one hand bandit, like with her head would just drool, like knocked out. And, and I, and somebody said, Missa, you can She was like, like hanging at this, where a Claire McArdle scaparelli dress. She broke her heel. We had to climb in her truck. That ended up, we were there for like four days, but we drove cross country shop. I mean, I was going to say shoplifting, uh, thrift shopping. <laughs> we go to a city and tear out the thrift shops and go, and, and uh, it was just great. We had a ball.
1: And could you ever have imagined then that what what your career was going to be? Did you ha- what was it that you thought you were going to do once you got to New York? All I wanted
0: to do when I came to New York was like find my tribe, find the people that were misfits, people that in LA that did not understand me because I used to go for uh, movie auditions. I actually they had casted me in Carrie because all the groundlings were in Carrie, uh-huh. and we actually went to Cantors with. Stephen King, because he was with the, all the groundlings that we all sat together. And then when I went on set, they said, you don't fit in as one of the high school kids. And he let me go and I thought, that was it, I'm done. I'm out of here. So Hollywood was not for me. And so I just felt, you know, Andy Warhol, superstars, the underground, the, the strange, the different. I thought, let me, let me reinvent myself in New York. And that's, I just came here. I kissed the sky and I said, New York City, I'm yours, do whatever you want, I'm here to stay. And I am I just, I, I cut L.A. I didn't tell anybody about music, groundlings, nothing. I just came and reinvented myself. Mm. And I got the job at Firucci and I just started, just got, it was, the store just opened up. Well, ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Ferrucci, because it was one of the first hip, cool labels, right? Yes. Of fashion. Well, I tell people it was like, people came to New York to see Empire State Building, World Trade Center, and Fiorucci. And the store was like brand new Italian Milan chic boutique. Not crazy, no nothing, beautiful music, beautifully lit, and people, and we sold tons of clothes. It was not, a, it wasn't like a kooky place. I mean, I was the one that was stood out because I was like, I knew a lot of the people that came in, so I always kept my eye on the door, and I knew that I had made a salary, but then you made commission. So I wanted to make a lot, you know, I was like, I was the one that was selling like crazy. And so I became a stylist to uh, Jackie Onassis. And and uh, I remember like uh, Calvin Klein coming in there looking what the hip jeans were because he was looking for jeans. And and uh, also uh, Gloria Vanderbilt. I showed her the stretch jeans that were brand new. And she was like, oh, stretch jeans. So I sold her, like you know, 15 pairs of them. And then like like six months later, Gloria Vanderbilt in her new stretch jeans.
1: I'm Gloria Vanderbilt from Rajani.
0: (laughs) It was all Furucci copy because I was just really making sales, but I was friendly to people. And the clothing was just exceptional. And the marketing and the way the store was set up, it was so beautiful. And people came in just to see what it was all about because there was nothing like it in New York. So Um, it was like home to me.
1: I imagine, though, that it, like you said, it was sort of a, a nexus for uptown, downtown, fashion, society. Everybody came there at some point. Um, you, but they often say that you were, did the windows with Vincent Gallo. Is that true? What happened was the windows were always
0: just very chic. You know, they would have this maybe a couple outfits hanging with the silver boots and some cap, and then it was Antonio Lopez, who was the first one who became the artistic director in seventy seven, seventy six, and put. New mannequins and then he would put Cat Pat Cleveland, uh uh Jerry Hall in the window to model the the, the look. So that became the first windows of Firucci of Live Mannequins. So no one ever saw that before. So that, that it wouldn't happen. Then also it'd be like a, a Broadway show. He'd bring the perform of uh, who's gonna be on Broadway into the window. And so it, it was kinda like with Antonio's touch, an Italian flair. So that's what it was. Vincent Gallo poppy popped in like shopped if you just popped around. He was a kid. He was, you know, he was like an art goofball, you know.
1: I rema I imagine a young Vincent Gallo was pretty yummy though. I imagine he was just absolutely adorable. He was a doorbell, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and during that time you were were you you were going out in the evenings and what was your nightlife vibe at that time?
0: Well when I first came to New York in seventy six, for about three months I liter or two months I went with my friend Bo and we went to every club in New York City. The Toilet, Crisco's Disco, uh, everybody's uptown sub, There were every gay bar, every club, La Mouche, da, 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 All these bizarre places. The Gilded places. Grape, was that around? The Gilded Grape. There was, yeah. every, I went to all of that. Every club that was in New York. And, uh, at, just so I wanted to get with the feeling of these clubs. And, uh, i do never forget there was a club up on 80, Sixth Street in the East Side. And it was kind of like a gay bar with a bit of a back room, because I lived at Seventy Eighth in New York at the time. And we were having some drinks, and all of a sudden the door opened and these guys walked in, kind of like kind of like rock star types. And I remember looking, and all of a sudden I thought, No, it can't be. And I kind of followed into the dark room, and it was Freddie Mercury, and, so, and into the dark room, and I had this little little like nightlight. So I was in the dark, room. I could hear like And it was dark, and I put this little bit of light, and there was Ferdinand Mercury with two dicks in his mouth, and the guy like fucking him in the ass. I was like, I never forgot that image. I still burnt in my mind. I have nightmares thinking about
1: it. I, I think it's burned in my mind forever now, too. So I, I saw I, a lot of
0: stuff. I mean, the, the early club days in New York were, uh, yeah, really intense. I kind of went to everything, everything. So I lived in town, I come downtown. The first week I met uh, Debbie, Harry, Blondie wasn't even signed yet. They, was, they were doing this thing at CBGB's and uh, it was for a German TV show. And we're sitting there and all like the Ramones and people, they gave me this look like, like who was I? Cause I was new to New York. And then I watched them do this thing and then the, the, the camera stopped. And Debbie came down She like talked to people and then she said, who are you? I've never seen you before. I said. I'm Joey. I just moved here. and She goes, oh, my God, you look great. I said, she goes, are they nice to you? I said, no. She goes, they are jealous. I said, what's your name? She goes, I'm Gabby. So what's the name of your band? She goes, we're called Blondie. We're trying to get a record deal. I said, you guys are great. And then the, it was, that was in June. And in July, August, I think it got signed. And then that first week, I met Klaus, who was a baker and an opera singer. And kind of like a you know, stinky old German guy losing his hair, you know. And uh, <laughs> not, I shouldn't say old. He was just like a, a very usual KDK. And I just started meeting people, just like it was what you did. You just ran around.
1: Um, uh, let's, let's talk for a second about Klaus because it was a very, you know, seminal relationship for you. It was very important. And I think you two fed off of each other creatively. The minute I met Klaus, KDK introduced me to Klaus in my first week in New York. And he happened to be right outside. We were
0: walking on the street and he had like a fedora on. Aviator sunglasses, a pinstripe Brooks Brothers shirt, uh, chinos on, and, bro- and brown chocolate brown chocolate and holding a bag. And I said, "Klaus, K's like, oh my God, Klaus, this is Joey." He's, like, oh, Joey, nice to meet you. What are you doing? She- Joey just moved here. Oh, great! You should come over to my house Saturday. I make I make kuchen and coffee. Please come yeah. over. So I went to his house on Saturday. We had coffee and cake, and we talked about Capitol Records and what I was doing and what I was doing in New York. And he was talking about opera and what he was doing. I loved Maria Callas and Elvis Presley. And so we just, it was that day that we literally bonded and never stopped talking. Literally, we talked every day. It was just like this person that just, we just became like soul brothers, not lovers, but friends, married, not married. We were something like an extraterrestrial biological entity relationship, a symbiotic relationship.
1: Who came up with the with the extraterrestrial look? Who, did, who Where did that come from? How did that sort of uh, come about? Well, I
0: think that for Klaus, it's called old age. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, that was like, it was like
1: Klaus just had that look.
0: And you know, it was like, he was very paranoid about his look. You know, he wanted to look, you know, like, hit that high forehead. And we all have five high foreheads. Anyway, I used to put makeup on him and accentuate his forehead and make him look like an alien. He'd be like, why do you do that to me? And so we laughed about it. But it was just something, you know, he just, we just played with. There was nothing that he thought, I'm going to be an alien. It was just, things just, you know, it just grew that way. We never planned things like, oh, we're going to do Bauhaus. We never planned that. We never planned Robot. It just happened. Everything just happened by mistake. One thing after the other. Klaus was in a heavy metal punk band that was so shitty. He was playing trying to make guitar and was like, and he was like screaming and I, he looked. He said, "What do you think?" I said, it's "The worst, Klaus. Don't, don't do
3: that."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Antonio had an art party. That's when Klaus showed some black lipstick and wore it like kind of like punky. That was the first time he kind of got punked out. And then also the New Wave Vaudeville show. So it was Klaus Sperber, and Adrian, and it was, it was kind of like was more sci-fi. Uh, had turned this on to Omni Magazine. So I guess they were out. Klaus was after Adrian. He wanted to set his copy really that. And so they were out, and uh, Adrian stole the poster, took it to Klaus's house. And, and Adrian was supposed to perform with Klaus, but Adrian eventually bowed out. They told Klaus, your name is in the poster. So Klaus was writing, Klaus, Ebony, Omni, Omni, nomi. Know, me? know me. Do you know me? So we, this is a, he told me this afterwards, because when we saw the Vonville show, we're all sitting there. It was packed. And then uh, uh, when David came up,
3: and now, ladies
0: and and now, Klaus, know me. And we all went, Klaus, know me?
3: What the fuck is that?
0: <laughs> then he came out and sung the aria and just sang it like the way he did because that's all he had. That's all he had was a sp- a spandex. And he loved plastic. It wasn't he was trying to be like an alien. He just wanted to have that. That was a costume. But, you know, everything just... And so he said, what do you think of that name? I said, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't get it. Tos me? I don't know. I, I like Sperber. He goes, Sperber's not a, a, a not a star name. He goes, we'll get used to it. I said, okay, we'll see what happens. But of course, you know, it grew on us.
1: Um, I know you've been asked a hundred thousand million, billion times, but um Saturday Night Live! How did it happen, and how? what was your relationship with David? And just give us the the, the high <laughs> points. <laughs>
0: Everybody would hear, like, Bowie was spotted somewhere, but we'd kind of try to hang out there. Or Bowie was sitting there. We'd try to be cool, you know. And so, we, you know, we were just like, Bowie Freaks. i have been Bowie Freaks since 1971 or whatever, when I was a kid in L.A., in Germany. So happened to be over at the Mud Club one night, and we were very gnome me like You know, we had our thing already. And then uh, uh, this girl, Green, who used to work at uh, Vidal Sassoon, it was like four in the morning. I think we had done a lot of coke that night. We were on the third floor and the fourth floor. We were kind of really high. It was really late. And we were gonna, and she said, good night to David. And we said, David, we looked. And there was Bowie against the wall. And we were like, oh, no. This is, and we were, you know, being coked up, we were all like. <laughs> 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 and so we started walking over there and his bodyguard stopped us. But I was also with me. I had a this Russian guy that was a hitman. Nobody knows that. And I met him at Pierucci, and he was like, this, he was kind of like a boyfriend. I didn't know he was a hitman until his jacket fell out, and a, a German Luger with a silencer fell out. That's a different story. And he and he told me that he was coming. He was in America to pick up stolen papers and jewelry that was stolen from Russia. And he had this gun with him. I was like, oh my! But he had this weird like. That, that ESP thing. So he goes, don't worry about it. I'm talking to this man. When I go like this, come. So he went to the black guy and this is the black guy doing this. And then you see the Russian guy go like this. And Klaus and I went right there, tapped David on the shoulder. And David turned around and went, oh, my God, Klaus, stop me. And he goes, I just got back from Berlin. Everyone's talking about you. And he goes, I'm dying to meet you. Oh, my God. And he, he goes, I have to get out of here. And he got this uh, eye, like eyeliner from the girl, and a piece of toilet paper. wrote his name and a phone number. He said, "Call me tomorrow." Hugged Klaus, give me a hug. And we were just like, David, and all coked up. And so we we left like kind of like hi. Klaus called him. Klaus and Paige Wood met with Bowie and showed him the films of the shows. And Bowie was like, tongue hanging out was like oh my god this is what I'm, i I want to do this, this is what I want to do so he was it was gonna be Tony Basil and Klaus on these different kind of productions and they kept, and Klaus was telling me like we're gonna do this no we're not we're gonna do that no we're not and then one day I came home from Furuchi and he said everything changed we're gonna do Saturday night live I was like oh my god that's great <laughs> you and Tony Basil he goes no it changed he goes we got rid of Tony Basil I said what he goes David wants to know if you'll do it, because we match. I was like, Are you shitting me? And he goes, Do you want to do it? I said, Do
3: that, you think
0: So he called RCA and he said, blah, oh, blah, blah, Joey out. And so I went, we went on Monday, and that was the beginning of rehearsal on a Monday. Wow. And, the is, and we sat for that first day for like four hours in a little tiny room, as like close, like, like literally our faces were this close, like. And, da, 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 and David told about his life. Klaus talked about his life. I talked about my life. And David was like all ears. He had everything filmed. He had cameras. He had cameras on up there. He had cameras. Everyone. He told us he was gonna film it. And so, you know, that film exists somewhere, and I don't know where it's at.
4: Wow, they gotta find that. I know, right?
0: Exactly. Right. This is Zach. Hi Zach. Hi, Zach. Hi, Zach. Zach is my producer, my record producer for the new album. Oh, when's the new album coming out? Yeah, the new album,
3: uh, we went to Packagem Studios in southern Minnesota, worked with um, uh, Joey's longtime band leader, Elliot, and, um, and a bunch of studio musicians and, and came out with 20, what, 22 songs? 23. Yeah, and the album's going to be wow. a nine-song song album so and you was, said
1: was, that one yeah. of them was up with the old pearly song that you had done yeah
3: last night yeah it's sort of, it sort of it, yeah totally sort of went to a post-apocalyptic 808 vibe from from this early 70s thing which is it was fun
4: when's it coming out and what's it called the album it'll be next year for sure now.
3: yeah I, we're, we're sort of starting overdubs here now with, with joey and really hitting all vocals and then
0: this is the man who's like Pushing me in a, a certain direction, yeah, which is great. Which is, I'm great. I'm honored. In, I'm following his direction. Well, I'm mean really following Joey's,
3: but also it's, it's totally going in a new <laughs> direction. But it's very, it's just Joey, it really is. So,
2: so this is my, kind of an exclusive scoop right now.
0: Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't expect to be on here at all. This is completely <laughs> exclusive. This is like the- we're
2: breaking some hot, some some hot news. This is very exciting.
1: You're breaking my hymen. What are you talking about? <laughs> That and Freddie Mercury getting fucked up the ass. Those are our two takeaways. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and also, I should say the film. You can say that. And then also the, I don't want to say documentary, but a film of my life.
4: Well, you got to find that footage of the Bowie t- shot of you in Saturday Night Live. Because
0: that's like. I you know, It's all with the archives. And it's like, it's very, very difficult. It's like Fort Knox. Mm. We'll break mm. in somehow. We'll break in. Maybe you guys can do that. You're a world of wonder. Right. We'll call up and say, open the
4: archives. Is uh, Does Iman look after the archives then? Is that who controls all the stuff?
0: She controls a lot, but there's like an archives of the costumes and other stuff. I think there's three archives. And they're very, very protective. Because I have, the, I, you know, I have the keyhole costume. The bowie coat, the keyhole from the 1984 floor show. I'm not going to tell you how I... It came to me, but I had it for years. And David knew, knew I had it. I told him about it. Anyway, so this is, he's going to leave soon, but I wanted to introduce Zach. This has been a pleasure listening to this. Yeah. Hi, guys. Good to meet you. Glad to break this news.
1: Good luck with finishing the album. I can't wait to hear it. I want to talk a little bit about um, Club 57, which is something that I had been hearing about and hearing about my entire time in New York City. I love a, the shoulder action happening here for our listeners who are not watching. Um, but uh, Club 57 is, is something that has attained sort of a mythical status. And I, so many people came out of it. KDK, John Sex, um, you know, Fab Five Freddy, Basquiat.
0: Basquiat, Herring, John Sex.
1: Yeah, keep going, keep going. And Magnuson.
0: It started as the Monster Movie Club. Maybe Fenton and Randy, you guys, used to go also?
2: Never went. We we were just at the edge of Club 57. Okay. So we, we yeah. I mean, we knew everybody, a lot of people from it, but I, we never went.
4: We never went. It was closed. I think it had gone by the time we came to New York.
0: Okay, so we it opened up as a, the Monster Movie Club because, you know, we were all the neighborhood. So it was just the, the gang. It was a little shitty... Polish hall underneath the church, literally a shitty Polish hall, this little crappy room, and they would show films that we'd all be in there screaming and laughing with the big, you know, the, the big reel, the reel, and popcorn and whatever. And then, and then eventually, after about a month or so, Ann started instead of doing it every Tuesday, Ann started booking like like events like prom night or girls on fire or you know mud wrestling or or the art show, but. Anne was doing that. There's a discrepancy here with Susan Henneford and Anne, and so anyway, so it became like this weekly, so there's something to do every night there. So that's where we all hung out. No one was famous. I was, you know, top stylist for uh, per- Ferrucci. Klaus was like opera, but pastry. Keith and those guys were going SVA and, you know, everyone was just kind of doing stuff, you know, but it was drawing and doing. Kenny Sharp was painting and it was just like
2: crazy and, crazy and fun. What a great melding pot of so much talent. Like the people that came out of that uh, um, just pretty extraordinary. And it also feels like it was the beginning of that East Village art scene exploding, right? Because, you know. Well, it was kind of the, it was the beginning of it all. There was other things. I mean, there were things going on, but we
0: happened to be that focus That because Basquiat and it was like that, That strength, because we were like a unit at that point, so you you could not get your eyes off what we were doing, because everyone kept saying, "You're like, oh." And then from Keith doing poetry to doing the baby, and then it just everything just started changing. I remember Basquiat walking around trying to sell the little cards of scribble, and hey, man, can you buy that for twenty dollars? I thought twenty dollars is like a week's worth of food, man. Why am I going to buy a cardboard with a scribble on it? That's ridiculous. I did buy one eventually, so yeah.
4: For twenty dollars, or did you have to pay more, or was it free? Did you get a free one?
0: I got it for twenty dollars because I was the, like, I used to be the mud, I used to be, I was the mud club's first door person. There's a there's a reference in Andy
4: Warhol's diaries, I think, where he met Baskett. He was walking around Soho, and Basquiat was selling his postcards, so yeah. he bought some. I think that was how Andy met Basquiat, yeah.
0: right? Yeah, because he'd walk around. He's very, he was very bold about it. Because he was kind of high on pot, and this he didn't care. He could walk up to police or anybody, anybody who looked like they had money. He just walked up, and of course, you know, we all looked at Andy Warhol as our savior. I mean, all of us two that was that like, Andy Warhol was God. I came to New York to meet God.
4: Tell us about the first time you met him. I gotta hear a few Andy Warhol stories. I don't want to interrupt James's chronology, but like
0: we're gonna be bouncing because there's too much. I remember you know, coming to New York, it was like, oh my God, Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol. And so, there I am at Fiorucci and I, I was doing something and I saw him walking and I turned white and I ran downstairs and then somebody came downstairs and said, show me have the come upstairs. I said, what? He goes, Andy wants to meet you. And I was like, I, I just, I couldn't even talk. So I came upstairs slowly. I had kind of like the burgundy hair and a striped Fiorucci top and he looked at me and went, wow, hi, Red. And I was like, Hi, and he goes. I'm Andy Warhol, and I said hi, Andy. And he goes, this is my friend uh, Truman Capote, and so I'm still there. i between both of them. They're like, wow, you look great. And Andy signed too red with all my love, and so did Truman Capote. And they looked at me, and these guys walked in, and Truman looked at me, and Andy goes, do you think those guys have big cocks? And right there, it was like kind of like, okay, you just, you know, we're sisters. And it was the beginning of it. So, so we just became friends. And I just, so when I told people I met Andy, we were like, they were like, "Oh my god!" So it was kind of wild to become friends with Andy, but we actually became close when Benjamin Liu,
1: his assistant, his assistant, who is also Ming Vaz, the drag queen.
0: We got Ming Vaz. We, uh, he said, call me on Saturday. Let's go to the movies. I said, okay. He gave me a number. It was Saturday. I Have a day off. So I called the number. It was at three in the afternoon phone rang. I heard, hello, and I said, uh, Ming Voss? Benjamin? No, no, he doesn't work on Saturdays. Who's this? And I said, this is Joey. Joey who? Joey Alias.
3: Oh, wow. You're famous.
0: I was like, who's this?
3: Andy? I said, <laughs> Andy who? Andy Warhol.
0: <laughs> what are you doing? I said, well, we're going to go to the movies. He goes, oh, I want to go to the movies. You want to go? And I'm like, Sure. He'd be at Serendipity. So I met him at Serendipity. When I got there, there was this ice cream banana float sculpture. All I could see was the top of his wig, the hair, and all this ice cream. And a cherry on top. And then we took a couple of pics of it. And everyone was taking pictures. And we went to the movies. And uh, Do you remember what you saw? The movie was called, uh, oh, God, something Maria. Oh, I can't. If it comes to me, I'll tell you. But we, he bought a big popcorn, two big sodas, all the candy. We sat down. The dinner was packed. The movie started, and he passed out. And he was snoring. So we just sat there. It was, when the movie just sort of ended. He put his head up and he went, wow, that was the best movie I ever saw. <laughs> and then I kind of lied. I said, do you remember when she got strangled and threw her off the airplane? He goes, oh. he goes, I was freaking out when they did that. Nothing like that <laughs> ever happened. And then we got the popcorn, and the soda, threw it in the garbage. and I walked him back home. That was our, our first
1: date.
0: <laughs> uh, and then I had dinner with Dali and Gala.
1: Tell us, keep going, keep going, keep going, never stop. <laughs> That's
0: a, I don't know what to I, I can't say too much. But this friend of mine said, Dali is looking for a muse. I can't tell you who the muse was because she'll kill me.
1: What? No, come on. You've got to tell us.
0: And so she agreed, and so we went to the the Palm Court Room, with the, and there was Gala with the big pair of scissors cutting his man's mustache, and Dolly sitting up with a big chair, and it was like people like this older couple and younger, basically older people, in tuxedos, and we were all like kind of pumped out, weird, and she wore the like leopard dress and combat boots and a leather jacket, and and uh, he got up and he was like,
3: nice.
0: And we were all like, oh, my God. Very tough. And then he said, drink, drink. So they came, and she got, a, I think she got a margarita, and I ordered a. I ordered a grasshopper. And so I'm drinking, and then Gala looked at me. And she says,
3: excuse me? What, what are you drinking?
0: I said, I'm drinking a grasshopper. She like, thought, no, not the grasshopper. <laughs> no, 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 no. Grasshopper. She said he got up. And he got the cane and broke the glass in front of me and said, "Never drink a grasshopper. It's evil." <laughs> and just stood for like five minutes.
1: What does that even mean? Why was he, why was she upset about the grasshopper?
0: Well, look at his panties, dear. Grasshoppers are the devil to him. Oh, <laughs> grasshoppers is like complete evil. So he fre- and so that was the beginning of our night. Uh-huh. It, it, the whole thing turns surreal. I can't get into it.
3: It turns surreal.
0: It was about, surreal. it was a six hour. I can't. I can't even tell you what went down.
1: Will we get it in the autobiography? Will you finally tell us in the memoirs? Was it Madonna? Was it? It was Madonna, wasn't it? Who Who was you were that? with. I never heard of Madonna yet. <laughs> Are you writing a book?
0: The movie. The movie will say it all. The movie will say it. All. Is the movie a documentary or a, a movie movie? It's a documentary. But I want it to be like totally a, like a, a contradiction to a, to reality. But I want it to be exciting. I don't want mm-hmm. it to be like, and then Joey was born here. And then Joey went chronologically there.
1: Everything that I'm doing right now, I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> it's Everybody's got a documentary. Everyone does it now. I want mine to open up with like two people in a hospital stealing this baby. And as they're driving away. You see, you see Area Fifty One, and then you see them put the, put the baby in this hospital. And the next thing, they give the baby to this woman. And that baby is me. That that you know, I wanted to be totally like this weird. What? What Joey? What? But but fact with contradictions, and I wanted to be uh-huh. entertaining. So you're kind of like, what? I want Ruben Toledo to be my artistic director. Nice, because he knows me. His eyes are so great. The way he's because I tell people. I know what I can give you, but you see me, and I don't know what you see, and I want him to do that
3: because sure, you know yeah. I,
0: I'm I'm not a director, I'm not you know, so I I surrender that part, so someone has to be like this is what I think you are, and I'm like yeah yeah, I will have complete control at the end though to watch it like no yeah,
3: <laughs> how far long is it? It's about that long.
0: <laughs> Stop. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I don't we, don't. we don't know yet. We just you just met the director. Oh right, uh, okay. It could okay. be anything. It could be it could be a miniseries. It could be a movie. I don't know. It could be on World of Wonder. It could Be World of Wonder one day.
4: <laughs> oh, you're kidding! We'd love to.
1: Well, let's go to Danceteria. Okay. The first one and the second one. Do you, what are your memories there? Because I know that. Um, Rudolph was g- gushing on about your Dali and Gala that you did with Anne Magnuson and the Edie and Andy uh, shows that you would do. What are your memories of, of Dance here and what uh, stands out in performance wise?
0: Dances was on 38th street, I think in the, in like Eighth or something. Do you, do you guys remember that?
4: The first one, right? The first one. Yes. Yeah. Like a
0: shady warehouse, kind of like upstairs, downstairs and, and all these uh, televisions and showing uh, videos and, and it was an area for the band to play. And and it was hysterical. There was nothing like that. And so we had a band called Strange Party. And they invited us to play there. And uh, It's you and it Ann was, Anderson, right? No, no. It was called Strange Party. It was a yeah. band. Ann and I didn't do anything until 86, no, 85. wait. Was, was much later. And so that year it was hysterical. It was just the Bombed out, crazy, uh, no liquor license, whatever, you know, just got in there. And I know that they got busted for no liquor license, whatever. They closed it down. Then they opened on 21st Street and they got their papers together. And that was a three-story, four-story, whatever. And that became like the playground uh, for all of us. But you keep bringing Andy and Edie up. It was because I I had to portray Andy at the store for his birthday. With 10 other people looking like Andy. So when Andy walked in, he was like, Oh my God, look, at all the Andys. But Andy looked at me and went, You look more like me than anybody else. So Ann walked in and Ann looked at me and said, She started laughing. She goes, Oh my God. She goes, I should be Edie. Why don't we do the Andy and Edie show based on Sonny and Cher? And so we we put together this program called the Andy and Edie show. And we did it Dance area. The Congo Billroom would put all tin foil and they balloons and television monitors, and um, we came out singing "I got, I got you, babe." And <laughs> Anne was like all fucked up with like heroin marks on her arm, and me with a Polaroid camera. And, and people, were, it was, and we showed home movies, and it was hysterical. And then at the end, Andy, Anne goes, "Andy, it's time to go." And we're like, I'm having fun. You. And she goes, "Well, you, not after I do this." And she, hit, like, a gun, and she shoots me on stage, like, "Pow, pow, pow." And like, and then we turn around, and go. Oh, Eddie, you're so funny. And we'll laugh. After the show, Andy was downstairs.
3: <laughs>
0: Andy's like, That was the best show I ever saw in my life. It was better than Broadway. I said, What do you think? He goes, You look, you're a good a good meat. I said, How about Anne? He goes, Oh, Anne was great as the dead girl.
1: He wouldn't even say her name.
0: And I said, You mean Eddie? He goes, Yeah, the dead girl. He didn't even say, He said, Great as the dead girl.
1: Oh, yeah, wow. That's funny. So he gave it all
0: the productions.
1: That's interesting. I remember that picture. There's a of you as Andy, and there was John Sex as Andy, and Advige was Andy too. It and was Alan Midget and Andy too. Age Wood. It was a whole bunch of us. Oh right, okay. So
0: Andy gave me, So eventually, Andy gave me one of his wigs, which is great. Wow. Still have it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of artwork at the house right now.
1: I would love to come and play, I think, in your closet, oh in your, your archives.
0: What else do you guys want to know? I've, I've got tons of stories.
1: Well, I want to go to the first time that you did Billie Holiday at Limelight for Gaylord, remember? It was 86, and you came out and did and did Billie. How is it that you, did you know that you could channel Billie? Where, where, how did you know she was inside of you?
0: I, when I was a kid because I used to listen to my parents' album. Here's Bowie, rock and roll, this and that, you know, and, and then Billie Holiday would play. And I used to think to myself, that voice, I want that voice. I don't want to be Billie Holiday, I want that sound. So I used to listen to the way she carried on his words. And so that's what I sing, and I tried it, and you know, it was very private. So that was when I was a kid, I come to New York, and I remember somebody said to uh, Andy, he said, Andy he should hear Joe uh, sing like Billy Holiday. So he closed his eyes and I sang Good Morning Hardy. And he opened his eyes and he went, Wow, I love your new voice. That's all he said. And so I never I tell I always sang Good Morning Hardy. And then um, I was invited to sing at the thing, the limelight. And I was like, What are we gonna do? I don't know if you, you know. So I put this chiffon gown on a big gardenia and on and sang Good Morning Hardy. And then, then I was doing wig sock as Justine. And then Bunny one time said, honey, can you do something pretty like the Billy Holiday thing at Wigstock? we have so many cookie acts? And I was like, oh, okay. Then I kept thinking, oh my God, well, how am I gonna do this correctly without offending anybody? And then my friend Tony, who's black, he said, look at the Billy, Billy Holiday, satin, lady in satin, just pull your hair back and be elegant. And then we went to Wigstock, and that's when you guys saw me sing Good Morning Holiday. And everybody just like was like. And but I had been performing it, her voice styling uh, as a guy. So I keep telling people, well, you know, I got paid a $100, $200. And also here I'm in drag. I'm getting paid. I'll be offered a $1,000 or more. So I kept thinking $100 as a boy, a $1,000 in drag. I think I'm going to do it in drag now. <laughs> so the drag just you know, started to evolve. And I hated drag. I couldn't stand drag. Never. I was so freaked out by drag. I used to be taking a drag clubs when I came to New York and I'd run, run. <laughs> and the reason I got into drag was because Andy Warhol had a Halloween party and drag. And that's why Justine was born. And I completely freaked out. I was like, no,
3: no, not a drag party.
0: So it was all the artists and then like the, our gang, Keith and Baskin. Mean, it was like everybody was in drag. So I had to get dressed in drag. So my friend got me dressed in drag and I was literally was like, I couldn't even walk in heels that high. I was so like freaked out. And they, they, people saw me and they're what's your name? And it was a bookshelf and I saw Justine. And he goes I went, uh, Justine? Wow, Justine, you look great. And then Andy was taking Polaroids. He goes, Oh, well, who are you? I said, Justine. You're Justine, what? Just sod Then he comes up to me and goes, Who oh, are you for real? I said, No. You went, "Wow, you need to be in drag all the time." I was like, "God
3: damn
0: it!" <laughs> <laughs> and so people started you know, hiring me in drag, and I was like, "Didn't want to do it." And,
4: and why didn't you want to do it? What freaked you out about it?
0: It just wasn't my thing. You know what? I I didn't like the impersonation you know, of the Judy Garland's and the the, Bar- the, the Barbara Streisand, and it just wasn't in my psyche of like the art form. I had, I was like beyond something more extraterrestrial i think probably it just seemed to be so pedestrian to me in a weird way that i just thought uh but it wasn't until bunny and all that whole crew showed up at the pyramid that I, that i got it i mean i could watch a drag show because it was hysterical so it was like, it's just dimension and all, and like completely inspected.
1: it wasn't female impersonation anymore it had gone into its own art form I guess it was here turn to like
0: wiki wacky, wacky wonderful world of like ridiculousness and it was so much fun so I loved going to see the shows that we'd all go from Clip to 7 go watch them and like laugh but I, I still wasn't doing drag yet not me but I could watch it so I started getting you know oh wow this is fun this is great but then you know Eventually I started, you know, putting on the drag and, and, it, and you know what? It did well by me. I'm very proud of it. And, you know, I tell people don't be afraid of like shy of what made you who you are, because it's part of my history. The, mm-hmm.
3: the drag.
2: Yeah. I never really thought of you as a drag queen. It, it's funny. Cause like, I, I, I've always thought of you as performance artist, that being part of your art. Like you, yeah. It's weird. This makes sense. Hearing this now, it, like, it makes sense to me. Yeah,
0: because you know I did all these other looks and different points and the devil horns and the uh-huh. and the, you know and the Klaus Nomi. I even now I'm in transition right now. I'm morphing into this new thing right now. I'm using a little bit of element of dread. That's why I, I hate using that extraterrestrial thing. It's like I'm looking at what I've done and trying to reimagine what I'm gonna present now for 2022 for the album. And uh, it's it's very musical, of course, but you know, the music will tell me and uh, visually it'll tell me also. But of course, I'm always gonna paint up and, you know, people still call me a sissy when they see me on the street. <laughs> or I get in a car and they're like, yes, miss, can I help you, miss? I'm like, oh, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm fine. Yes, I'm fine. I changed my voice. And then I get a
1: free cab ride. But drag was um, good for you, I mean, during the Bardo years, right? I was full on. I,
0: I, I loved it. You can't even do that. Because yeah. I was doing the Billy Holiday shows. And then Jean-Marc brought us to, to Bardot. And I kept, doing, I kept doing a new look. So I threw in the Betty Page wig, because I had a real spot, short haircut. And that was the beginning of that whole, again, the image change. And then people kept saying, Wow, you look like Betty Page. So then I started doing more Betty Page. And then I wound up being in Betty Page's book and meeting Betty Page in LA wow. before she passed away.
3: Wow. Because it was kind of
0: weird to do and then she you know, she was like, I can't believe you like to dress up like me. but you know? <laughs> she was so sweet, this little old
1: lady you know? but she looked like <laughs> Betty Page, you know, with white hair. So Bardot was was happening. And that's with a
0: lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was a lot of (laughs) cocksucking. Can I say that on the show?
1: Sure, please. The more the merrier. Oh, yes, you can say that.
0: It was like, it got so crazy because we were were drinking and then we'd do like some bumps towards the end of the show. And it'd be like in the dressing room, in the toilet, cocksucking left and right. It was insane.
1: And who are, the, who, are the, who are the other performers with you?
0: Sherry, well, the original was like, Edvige, Raven, and myself. Right. After two months, Edvige had to go, and then we got, I got Sherry in. So, of course, Sherry's like, you know, cocksucker number one. <laughs> Sherry Vine. So, we'd be, we'd, Raven would do her thing. I'd be standing there, and Sherry was be next. And all of a sudden we, and now Sherry Vine. Everyone's applauding. He's like, where's Sherry Vine? So, was, she's in the bathroom. I opened the bathroom. I could see... Sherry's knees, and I could see some guy here going, "Oh," and Sherry's like, "I'm almost done, girl." And so Ray we kept talking, and Sherry come out with her lips a little messed up, and she's like, "I was a little busy," and some guy would walk out. <laughs> <laughs> so that became just Sherry. It was completely insane. <laughs> so we were. It, it became you know. Then we go to Jackie 60 and meet people there, and oh, I'd bring people back to my apartment So whatever. I it, it, it was. A lot of shit went down during the Bardo times. I'm an angel now.
1: Uh, I'm thinking back, that so many different parts of your career and different eras of your career. Did you ever think that uh, it, it like it's over? And then, like before you reinvented yourself, was there ever a moment where you were worried and you about what was coming next? No.
0: I was engineered to perform. My life is what I'm doing. I've worked my whole life my, since I was a child. What I'm doing, even my parents knew it. So why, at some point, would I go? Well,
3: I guess that's it now.
0: <laughs> I guess I'm gonna go work as a typist at some corporation. <laughs> I don't think so.
1: So there's never gonna be a time where you where you will not be performing. When you are 102, you're still gonna be on stage and in a wig and a 202. As you've been performing all these years in New York
4: and you've seen nightlife change, I'm curious, like, what what did you make of the Club Kids and Michael Eilig and that whole scene? You know, what what was your take on that? Well, you know, I
0: came from a whole different world when it came to the Club Kids because I was like, you know, Club 57 and the art world and up But, you know, we go to the limelight because, you know, it's happening. And I thought, what a bunch of wild kids that are trying to prove something. I kept thinking they wanted to, Prove something. The more outrageous they were, the more you would look at them. That's what I kind of was getting from it. And the more ridiculous you were, the more attention you were getting. And then I, I, because I probably go once a week or whatever, and and I started, you know, Richie Rich and so and so. And I started becoming friends with some of them. And uh, and they were just really cute. I really liked them. They were youngish. They were like kind of like a little younger younger than I was, and so. I didn't dress like them. Suzanne would pop in. and It wasn't part of that, but it was just part of this gang, this wild group of people. And Michael Alec was kind of like that ringleader who I didn't really like because I knew it was kind of like up to no good. Because I know at one point somebody said, don't treat the punch because he's, he's got he's got hepatitis and he's just peed in it. And he put acid in there. And I was like, oh, you were part of that gang. <laughs> James, St. <A>. James.
3: <laughs> and I was
0: like, I, was, I mean, but you were fab. You know, there were certain people that really were like, that like you you were more classier, like more you know, Amanda. Some people just stood out on their own. In other words, like you know, with a giant platform of shoes and shaved heads and over the top. That you know, okay. like you know, I, I was watching it all, like going to the to going to the Natural History Museum and watching something really crazy. But I was kind of weary of Michael Allen. and I remember one time Lee Bowery was there because I was friends with Lee for years, and then Lee was really upset. And they had me in this one little offside room. I said, What's wrong? He goes, Well, Michael, they had me flown in to do a show. They want me to perform in this little room. I was like, Are you shooting me? Everyone's waiting outside. Then Michael walked in and said, All pompous, are you ready for the show here? I turned around to Michael and I said, How dare you? He looked at me, gave me this look, and I turned around, slapped the shit out of him. He he fell and ran. (laughs) And then then they got uh, a Gation and I said, "Honey, do you get Ali Bari, who's the he's the the, the Godfather, the saint to all his He goes, "Yeah." What's it? Then they put him on the main stage, and Michael was afraid of me after that. He would if he saw me, he ran.
3: <laughs> That's funny with good reason. <laughs>
0: yeah, I stopped. Literally, I thought his teeth fell out. I, 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 <laughs> the little shit. I was so I was so angry with him, but eventually I became you know I was friends with the club kids, and it's funny to see. Like who the next generations are, and uh, you just gotta. You know, I, I love it. I think
1: it's great. What do you think of nightlife now in New York?
0: Nightlife in New York is great because I think it's uh, it's morphed into what it is. It's a lot coming out of Brooklyn. People are doing things in New York, kind of undergroundy, really weird. We have the Barshland New York New York show that's like five hundred packed and the craziest acts. I mean, on Broadway, and people are going bananas. Um, there's things happening all over the place, little events, little things. It's not what you know, but that's what they call it in New York, because it's reinventing itself. It's never mm-hmm. gonna be what it was then, and you can't you have to forget about that. I don't I don't yearn for the yesteryear. I I look forward to what's coming. I see the whole new generation. I think the twenty twenty one year olds are the people like us. You see them in the East Village, like dressed, like dressed up people look at them and they're like, who are these people? I said, that's like the 20-year-olds. This is like the Z generation. They fantastic. And they're fantastic. And they're curious about, again, about our world, but not like other generations. But yeah, I think our generation was where everybody kind of like went, that's what, that was the end. When AIDS and whatever stopped and creativity stopped with our gang. In
4: a way, I think, am I wrong? Or am- well, we were talking about this earlier and trying to sort of think about why people seem so fascinated with this period and why New York nightlife. And it it does seem that that was the, the final period before everything went digitally and virtual and online. And, you know, I think the iPhone, I don't regret the iPhone, but I think it has been a seismic change, you know, in the way people interact. And I think, so I think people who've grown up with this suddenly kind of curious about what it was like before that because it was a sort of you would go to these art galleries these clubs you would see these people who'd bump into each other on the street it was like in retrospect it was a very it was community i think community is such a weird word because at the time you just don't feel it you're like what is community it feels like some sort of do-goodery type thing <laughs> but but actually, in retrospect, now where you're like, oh yeah, that was community. You know, the East Village. Just Dimension, going yeah. to the Pyramid, going to the Wawa? You know, just going to all these places
0: and bumping into each other. That's how we community. That's how we met each other. That's how we exchanged ideas. you, you carried a couple of quarters in your pocket to make that phone call to tell people where you're at, and that's mm-hmm. how we met. And that's how we, that, we never had phones at home. We just we all hung out in the street. Club Fifty Seven, the Mud Club, Studio Fifty Four or whatever. You went out for part of Did Nightlife. Did you go to Studio 54? Well, Fiorucci was, okay, Fiorucci's the store. Is that, and so, Carmen D'Alessio and Steve Rubel they used to come shopping in there. Alio Fiorucci went with them to the club in Queens. Somehow, Alio was like, I mean, uh, Steve Rubel, oh, it's Fiorucci the store,
3: big, blah, blah.
0: So, when 54, it was Fiorucci was in c- cahoots with, they never talk about the documentary. And uh, I remember Antonio Lopez was like, a, like one of the art directors for the opening, and uh, we were part of the opening when it opened up that day. It was like we—you never—the uh, discos were like small; everything was small, and to walk into a palace, it was like, oh my god! Fifty-four is blocked off. There's like a mob scene, and we were in the front. Of the, I was with Ali Fiorucci, all the Italians. People squashed with Antonio trying to get in, and when he opened the velvet rope we 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 you know we were the, the kind of first ones walking in and we, we just could not believe it. it was like the palace of versailles and it was just so i mean you just could not believe it. it was there was nothing like it and so i used to go like three times a week four times a week and then dance till like four in the morning get home sleep a couple of hours and go to free routine, you know at eight in the morning you know but i'm 20 years old at the time so
1: When, after Klaus died, which I know is is still gotta hurt all these years later. Um, can it, can it be? I've been I've been punched many times. But you were the executor of of his estate, and I just wonder, like, what on a on a day to day level that means, and and what what it is that you do to keep the legacy alive and keep the memory alive of all of that. When Klaus died, he said, "Please, his image
0: is part of the legacy of Klaus." Um, he just said. If they ever do a documentary in my life, this is how I want it. I want it to be like a fairy tale book. Like, you know, the Walt Disney movies when they open up, like, Snow White and Cinderella. He he wanted it to open up like that. And, like, a pop-up book, like, you know, when you open these books and these things that open up? Klaus wanted it to have it to be something like that. Unfortunately, the Nomi song was not that. I was supposed to work with him. That's another story, which I hated that movie.
1: Nomi's Song is the, is the documentary that came out about 10 years, five years ago that was not part of his hate.
0: Hated it. And because uh, it was not true, a lot of stuff was false. People took on more credit. than you know. Anyway, um, so I promised Klaus I, I would watch after the legacy. So I keep my eye on everything that's Klaus. I have everything of Klaus. Right now, uh, Harvard purchased my archives. So everything now lives at a in Harvard to protect all the Klaus's art as a kid, all his photos. The costumes are going to go, we're working on that right now, all the costumes. And uh, so, you know, I'm in charge. No, I'm the only one that really knows Klaus, the simple man, to when I was with him on his last day, dying. He was like a skeleton holding him, talking to him. But, you know, so. I know, you know, it's it's a lot, you know. And I pray to Klaus every day, like literally, like, Klaus, watch after me. Because I, you know, I went through rehab and I kind of had this one year I went off, like about a year and a half, I, I fucked up. I wound up drinking like every day, 24 hours a day, white wine and taking opiates for I don't know how it happened. And at one point I tried to stop and I was going through a withdrawal and I was like here in the window praying to Klaus. Klaus, please listen to me. I wanna be Joey. Help me get this out of my system. And uh, I guess he answers my my prayers and Kim had an intervention and about thirty five people came together and took me to a rehab for three months. Well, detox is what saved it. But so now I'm back to Joey again, you know. I just like a year and a half up, Not thirty years of getting fucked up, but just a year and a year can really fuck you up bad.
4: Well, congratulations. That is an amazing, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to to fight
0: and to overcome. And I tell people, you know, they go, they're like, I can't believe they went to rehab, but they're back to drinking. I'm like, well, because they didn't want it. They don't want to stop. I wanted this, like, out. I want to be like Joey talking to you and making sense and not like looking at something to drink. Or, you know, it's finished. I, I drank my, you know, my whole life. I took Smarter Coke. I did. You know,
1: it's it's boring now. Benton, Randy, is there anything that that I've forgotten that you guys want? Oh my God!
2: It's there's
1: there's hours worth. Well, of- we I know we haven't even gotten to Basil with the Twist. We haven't done Zumanity. We haven't.
0: After I did Zumanity, was Zumanity that, That's another weird stuff that you know. I was like Mugler myself with the, like Ground Zero. Of that show, that was a three five hundred million dollar production. Was unbelievable. I mean, so then I did that for six, seven. Actually, it was longer because I was with them. Blah 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 blah. I left, met Basil, and I was a big fan of Basil's art. You know, art creativity. I used to always see his shows and be thinking, "Oh my God, I'll look to be in one of his public shows one day." So then here I am. He's like, "I'm going to do something in about four or five months." I got three weeks. We're going to do something together. And I thought, "Yeah." Then he goes, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, I want to go on an acid trip." I want to be abducted by aliens and a big, uh, Bruce Buckley finale. He goes, okay. And then a, a day later, he came over. This like, started doing it, and before I knew it, it was like it was coming together. And I was like, oh my god, it was really. And we were running and doing and music and this. It was totally it, it was literally. I was on tour, he was on tour, so it was like it was like a nightmare. I, I cried, I cried, I cried before that opening, before the first time. Sherry was even like. We were in Amsterdam, and I was, she would go out, and I'd miss all, i just wait. I would, they're memorizing the songs and crying. She goes, why don't you come out? I said, I could memorize this shit. And I was like, oh, I can't, I'm gonna, I can't, I can't. she goes, girl, it's gonna be fire with that. And it's anyway, the long, because I had to memorize all this stuff and write the script. And then and the rehearsals, it was like a nightmare.
1: But that's where art comes from that's when when you sob- when you're sobbing and crying and on your knees that's when your greatest performance happens
0: right and I cried, believe me, I cried for that show mm-hmm. like really and uh I cried so much that the New York Times said, "Madonna, ease your heart out <laughs> and it, and it was two pages and me and the cover of the the art section with my hands out I, I mean I and after that that came out, the show was like sold off for a year I was like. Three weeks, a year. Oh, that was that. But I love you guys, and I'm so excited to be this. Did we talk about it? I kept thinking it was going to get nasty and
1: silly. Or I, I think we got pretty nasty. I think we got pretty nasty and silly in there. It's hmm. hard to
4: stop Freddie Mercury being double-fisted or, double, you know, like <laughs> every spit roasted. That's <laughs> what I'm
0: You know what? People always see me, and they always put my name with cock sucking. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm get...
1: On this phone every day. Well, that's right. That's how we're going to introduce you. We'll say cocksucker Joey Arias. We'll take out all the other stuff about the performance and the shit. Everybody send
0: you. me like from all over the world every morning. Like uh, people send me their cock. I get people like soliciting me like, oh, can I come over? I mean, do I get cock, cock this, cock that, bigger cock. Like, <laughs> I got this guy with a twenty-inch penis. That's like, I mean, I mean, if I showed you this, what, can I show Jonah this? Jonah like, Falcon, see? of
1: course, oh. Jonah. Right? No. No, but no. you've been on Jonah Falcon before. I know you have.
0: No, this is not that. We're gonna be we out when you see this. I'm oh, okay. Jonah Falcon, honey. Okay, one second. Here it comes.
4: I love the fact you have to find it. Like, how many penises are you scrolling through? <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Oh my gosh! How does that even work? It's it's fatter at the end than at the
0: top. It's like 25 inches long. Oh my god! It, it goes from thin to thick. No, no, no! It's the it's, it's the it's the it's the angle of the camera. It's like it's like a monster cock. I mean, Jonah <laughs> is like this compared to this guy. This guy, I met him. He's an artist. He's a painter. He 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 told me he jerks off once a month into a bucket, <laughs> and he and he showed he showed it to me like it, like him coming like jerking like this and come gushing out like I mean, it's like. It's like Niagara Falls. It's like just, it's like. (laughs) I mean, people contacted me with Cox. That's one of them.
2: Well, we reached out to you not because of that. We reached out because we adore you and we think you're such a brilliant artist. Thank you. It's amazing to, to reconnect. And I'm so excited about the new, you know, your music. Thank you. And
1: album the documentary all of it well I, I want to thank you guys also for what you did to
0: the you know i didn't mention it but what you know the drag race did for the the for the world accepting drag it became like a like part of a uh, culture now it's like people aren't afraid of, it's you know what i mean you know what i'm talking about the mainstream among it's like a really yes. mainstream and you guys have really have done something really phenomenal and really fantastic and all your projects. Every time I see World of Wonder, I'm like, Bleh. "What are they doing now?"
2: Have you seen the Voynorovich film? We need to send you the David Voynorovich film. No, I've not seen it. Oh, I, I really, I'm, I would really like for you to see it, and I'd be curious to know what you think about it, and we'll, we can send you a link. Okay, but that would I be think. wonderful. Thank you. I would love that. But
0: that'd be great. And, uh, but no, you guys. So, so if you're saying to me, I'm just saying to you. That's like I've known you since when you had the, the Pop Tarts <laughs> and performing at the at the Pyramid Club and all of us together with James St. James that here we are like uh, still surviving in the world arts and where we're, at, where we're at in our careers and here we are friends talking together and uh, not like you know oh was our you know it's just like here we are no, exactly.
2: It's a mutual, like the thing is, you know, we've all been through it in different ways and to, to still be at it, you know, we're all a little older. It's like, it inspires. Well, for me, it's inspiring just to connect and to hear that you're still there doing it. And it excites me to, to think about your future. So. Thank you so much. Thank you.
4: I love all your stories, even, even the filthiest cock stories, because (laughs) you know, isn't it you you engineered to perform, and you you have, and you are.
0: And, the, and let's see what else is coming up. There's, I haven't even talked about some of the other shows I've done. There's more still, but but thank well, you so much. It's been a it's a journey. It's an ongoing journey. It won't stop. And I tell somebody my next final what I think would be for me would be connecting the soul to the A and I. I want. Some, I've already been talking to some people already. Like who are scientists to make like a robot of Joey and a Joey bot a Joey bot, and then when I'm about to like pass over to get my soul or the or whatever it is and incorporate it with the uh, artificial intelligence, so that it'd be like a Joey new life into the new into the into the 23rd, 24th centuries, you know, whatever. That's what that's why I see myself.
1: So the world will never be done with Joey Arias. Never, ever, ever. And when we move into space, you will you will be a, an AI presence in space. You will be HAL in 2001: Space Odyssey. I be open the open the pod bay doors, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> Why?
3: Why do you want me to do that? I love you. <laughs>
1: Oh love I love you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you everybody. Bye bye.
0: Thank you everybody.